You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Robocop, which came out in 1987 and was directed by Paul Verhoeven. It stars Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, Kurtwood Smith, Miguel Ferrer, Dan O'Herlihy, Robert Duquie, Paul McCrane, and Ray Wise. The genre would be sci-fi thriller slash satire. We get the best of both worlds. Fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer assisted memory and a lifetime of on the street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you Robocop. Because whatever happens, this corporation will live up to the guiding principles of its founder courage, strength, conviction. Who are you? Serve the public trust, protect the innocent, uphold the law. Wow, talk about a futuristic thriller, which was actually way ahead of its time. There is future stuff alluded to and or shown in this movie, which seemed positively batshit back when it first came out in 1987. Privatized prisons and space exploration, militarized police, high-level U.S. politicians threatening violence after losing an election. <clears throat> Seven years into the go-go 1980s, director Paul Verhoeven kick-started his American film career with a cold-blooded satire, which just savaged the American mindset at the time. Our obsessions with the patriarchy, ruthless corporate culture, fetishizing guns, and cars with shitty gas mileage. Okay, Miller, don't hurt the mayor. I'll give you whatever you want. First, don't fuck with me. I'm a desperate man. And second, I want some fresh coffee. And third, I want a recount. And no matter how it turns out, I want my old job back. Okay. And I want a bigger office. And I want a new car. And I want the city to pay for it all. What kind of car, Miller? Something with reclining leather seats. That goes really fast and gets really shitty gas mileage. But none of that would have mattered if it wasn't so much fun. This film just delivers a steady stream of inventive action, biting humor, and even some genuine pathos. The latter of which is delivered mostly through a pretty stirring performance by Peter Weller, despite being obscured by a bulky robot suit for most of its runtime. Murphy had a wife and son. What happened to them? Well, after the funeral... She moved away. Where did they go? She thought you were dead. She started over again. I can feel them. But I can't remember them. 
He plays Murphy, the unlucky beat cop who we helplessly watch get brutally murdered in the first 30 minutes. We really feel for this guy and everything we watch his character go through, including his involuntary transformation into a machine, a cybernetic organism. And we really hate the Detroit scumbags who did this to him, all led by the villainous drug lord, Clarence Boddicker. What do you got there, Clarence? Huh? Whoa, a new toy! Can I play? Huh? <laughs> Watch this. Wait a minute, wait, Clarence! Clarence! Boddicker is played by Kurtwood Smith, who delivers the other performance that is so critical to the success of this movie. He's often comically cruel. Just watch him pull the pin out of a grenade using his tongue to murder a corporate enemy later in the movie. But he's also brutally efficient, as when he declares to two women at the beginning of that scene, Bitches leave. <clears throat> And beyond the main narrative, we have a steady stream of biting satirical humor sprinkled throughout in the form of fictional newscasts and commercials. My personal favorite always being the one for the Family Heart Center, which is not only keen to point out that it offers services on heart transplants, but is also pointing out the high-end brands of artificial hearts which are available, akin to a car dealership. Here at the Family Heart Center, we feature the complete Jarvik line. Series 7 Sports Heart by Jensen. Yamaha, you pick the heart. Throw in more blood squibs than you could shake a stick at, thanks to the mastery of makeup artist Rob Bottin, who also did amazing work on previous episode The Thing, a muscular score from Basil Polidorus, and some nice acid turns by Ronnie Cox and Miguel Ferrer playing the main corporate villains. I remember when I was a young executive for this company. I used to call the old man funny names. Iron Butt, Boner. Once I even called him Asshole. But there was always respect. I always knew where the line was drawn. And you just stepped over it, buddy boy. You've insulted me, and you've insulted this company with that bastard creation of yours. I had a guaranteed military sale with Ed 209. Renovation program. Spare parts for 25 years. Who cares if it worked or not? The old man thought it was pretty important. Dick. And the result is a truly watchable genre masterpiece that even the likes of Ben Shapiro might find entertaining, despite its, quote, woke politics. And now the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, speaking of that score, via a mix of synthesizer and orchestral instruments, Polydorus delivers one hell of an effective musical journey through gruesome tragedy and hard-fought triumph. The score is very impressive throughout, and even gets to some haunting places, but nothing tops the main Robocop theme, which we hear in its full glory at least three times throughout the movie. During the factory chase climax, just as the end credits kick in, and during a critical sequence, which I will get to a bit later. This is just hero music through and through especially when those strings just start to soar about halfway through.
That brings us to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. For a first film that is about as perfect or as near perfect as a film can get, it's pretty astounding just how far the quality levels fell in the two god-awful sequels to RoboCop, which followed. The story of Alex Murphy slash RoboCop could have been a perennial crime saga for years to come. It had that kind of potential. I mean, you had at least three good Lethal Weapon films, likely around three or four pretty good Dirty Harry films, and yet for this franchise, nope. And here's the thing. RoboCop 2, which came out only three years later, it was directed by Irving Kirshner, who 10 years prior had given us what is definitively among the top five sequels of all time, Empire Strikes Back, which topped its predecessor. I remember seeing RoboCop 2 opening weekend beyond excited to see this character's story continue. And it was utter trash. The satire was ham-fisted. Several story beats from the first movie were just lazily repeated. And even though he had a strong actor, Terry Noonan, playing the villain, he was completely misused as he spends most of the film's runtime as simply the brain behind a cyborg rival of RoboCop's. And don't even get me started about RoboCop 3. It was PG-13, and he flies. Enough said. The real waste here was the potential for a memorable RoboCop franchise. Sadly, it was pretty much just one and done. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now about that critical moment which I mentioned earlier. There comes a point about halfway through when Murphy slash RoboCop has fully realized the horrific events which led him to his current cyborg state and the scumbags who killed him, led by Clarence Boddicker. So he's on a mission now to seek them out. And as it turns out, the Boddicker gang is in the middle of brokering a major deal with the top local producer of cocaine in Metro Detroit, otherwise known in the movie as Old Detroit. And what results is a dazzling extended sequence highlighting the top two actors in this movie really strutting their stuff. First, we cut to inside this massive cocaine factory where Boddicker has a predictably testy exchange with Sal, the local crime boss who runs this drug factory, played by Lee DeBrew in a typically slimy performance, very much in line with the tone of this movie. Man, it is just a kick to watch Kurtwood Smith playing this scene so smug, especially when he says, guns, guns, guns. But I got the connection. I got the sales organization. I got the muscle to shove enough of this factory so far up your stupid wop ass that you'll shit snow for a year. Frankie, blow this cocksucker's head off. Ooh, guns, guns, guns. Come on, Sal. Tigers are playing. Two nights. I never miss a game. But of course, this meeting is soon interrupted by an unexpected guest who bashes his way through the main entrance to raid the place. By himself. Well, sure, he's RoboCop, of course. This leads to a massive shootout as goons from all different levels of this open factory floor, including Boddicker, are just unloading their automatic weapons into the guest of the hour. But no matter, because RoboCop has a top-of-the-line, Glock-sized machine gun with perfect targeting. So he not only hits his targets coming at him from all different angles, but he does it with style. Just relatively slight pivots of his torso and movements of his arms as he shoots almost everyone, including those directly above him, in such a fluid motion, it would make even John Wick jealous. And finally, when you know it, one of the few folks out of the dozens who have been shot by RoboCop happens to be Boddicker himself, because Murphy, slash RoboCop, 
first wants to question him to see where this criminal chain leads to. And he does this very effectively by throwing Boddicker through a series of windows. Watching how he takes Boddicker down a few pegs, eventually leading him to spill everything out of desperation, just so satisfying. Clarence Boddicker, you are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Fuck you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute! I'm protected, man. I've got protection. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? God damn it. God damn it! Listen to me. Listen to me, you fuck. There's another guy. He's a he's OCP, he's the senior president. Anything you say may be used against you. It's dead. And now the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As if there was any doubt, this is Verhoeven's movie through and through. Yes, the screenplay by Ed Niemeyer and Michael Miner, it's pretty brilliant in and of itself, with so much biting commentary and structured pretty perfectly as well. But given the setting and the violence shown, this film has to walk an extremely treacherous tightrope when it comes to tone. The audience is shown so many extreme acts, and in lesser hands, this whole thing could completely fall apart as a single-minded, numbingly violent revenge tale in the vein of some of the latter Death Wish films. Or, really take your pick of any canon film released around this time starring Chuck Norris. Except the Delta Force. Just think about what Verhoeven is able to pull off here. In one scene, we are shown one unlucky corporate underling at OCP, utterly decimated by machine gun fire from Ed 209, who was the comically lumbering and large law enforcement robot being proposed by Ronnie Cox's Dean Jones. Before things go awry, there are so many blood squibs used in this scene that they had to chop it down to avoid an X rating. And yet, the whole thing is successfully played for laughs. The framing, the way other actors are reacting to it, it's genuinely funny satire despite being brutally violent. Somebody want to call a goddamn paramedic? Let's go, Johnson. What did I say? Dick, I'm very disappointed. I'm sure it's only a glitch. A temporary setback. You call this a glitch? Well, then just a couple of scenes later, after we have just briefly met Murphy, we see him gunned down just as viciously by Boddicker and crew. And it is an utterly heartbreaking moment. Much of this, of course, is due to great performances by both Weller and Smith, along with some very effective gore effects showing Murphy's hand being blown off. It's a truly impressive feat for any director to pull off such an effective tonal shift involving violence within the same section of a movie. I mean, these scenes are just about 10, 15 minutes apart, and they play completely differently while both serving the story. For delivering both one of the most piercing satires and genuinely exciting action films of the 1980s at the same time, Paul Verhoeven is the MVP. My rating for RoboCop would be five stars out of five. Thank <laughs> you.
This film has been a cable streaming video staple for 30 plus years now. And what seemed like outrageous satire at the time of release, or even just a basic slasher movie, has evolved into something pretty prescient. Kind of miraculous that it works so well on two different levels. Even more so when you find out just how troubled the production was. How the director, the star, and the visual effects guy were often at each other's throats. Don't even ask about how difficult it was to get that suit going. In the pantheon of sci-fi and action genre films, this is definitely among the elite. I'd buy that for a dollar. And if you're looking to watch RoboCop, it's currently streaming on Fubo, AMC, and DirecTV. And that ends another state-of-the-art Bang Bang review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.